0: Hey, podcast listeners, Al Martin here. This is part two with Sam Torres. You might go back and listen to part one if you didn't hear it, because this is going to start right in the middle as we talk about her company, The Grey Dot Company, using data within marketing, website design, ethical marketing, and a whole bunch more. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.
1: simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even
0: fun. So tell us about The Grey Dot Company. What do you guys do that differentiates yourself amongst the, the competition? Why start that company? What, what was the miss or the gap that you saw in the industry and then back to the differentiation?
1: Sure. Okay, so uh, my partner, Tori, uh, she originally founded it uh, because she went on maternity leave and decided she didn't want to go back. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, as far as us working together, uh, so I've been in agency life uh, for most of my career. The So for me personally, being able to write my own schedule, decide what direction I want to go into, decide what kind of clients I want to work with has been really the big benefits for me. As far as working with us and the team that we have, um, we are one of the few agencies out there that hire part-time employees. So we actually do everything with senior level staff um working part-time. Uh, and that's because we want to give our team really the the time to do the other things that they love. Burnout is so prevalent in agency life. Um, and what we were running into is we would have colleagues who are super talented at what they do, but maybe they need to go, they need to have the bandwidth to take care of an ill parent Mm-hmm. or they just became parents themselves. And so giving people the space to still hone their craft and perform really what, uh, you know, I think is a God given gift for some of the, like my, my team, I, I can't speak highly of them enough. Um, but still be able to handle the things that you need to do because at the end of the day, I'm under no illusion that anybody works for me for anything other than a paycheck. <laughs> like, you work to live, um, and too many agencies, and certainly most of the ones I worked in, it, that was not the mindset. So we've been trying to really build a safe space. So like I say we have part-time employees, we offer full benefits, because we think there's, there's just a missing gap for that kind of makeup in the market. But we do everything senior, and for me, that also means I'm not micromanaging anyone. Uh, back in the day when I was working at agencies where we were built on an intern model, the number of times I had to teach people how to answer the phone or write an email is galling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's an interesting story. So but. Basically, <laughs> let
0: me say this back to you. I like to do this just to make sure I'm understanding. What, what I heard you say is, look, you embody the concept you got to work to live. You're getting part-time talent, uh, doing some things on the side, like a side hustle, but you're able to get the talent that you wouldn't get otherwise, but then it's about doing what's right, catering to the individual and allow them to balance the rest of their time the way they should. Does that mean you you still pay salary or do you pay per job or is it is, is it a different is uh, a different performance compensation package?
1: So uh, that's a great question. It kind of depends on what country do you live in? Cause it depends what, what rules I got to follow. Um, mm-hmm. For our US employees, they're all paid salary
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and they get paid overtime if they go over their, their part-time hours. And benefits packages, same thing. Those those change from country to country because they have to. Um, so that yes, that's a big part of it of trying to build a flexible marketing agency. And like you said, it it enables us to get that top talent that, you know, for example, one of the best people in content marketing I've ever met, he was going to completely quit the industry because he needed to take care of his dad, who's fighting cancer. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, let me do this so you can pay your bills and you can still take care of what you need to do because mm-hmm. um, awesome. he also has younger siblings that he takes care of. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's, it's trying to give those unique situations that actually aren't as unique as I think we'd like to think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause phases of life happen. Um, now on the technical sure. side uh, yeah. So we hire senior talent. So that is something that our clients definitely like uh, you're not usually spending a lot of time trying to educate on, how the business is run, because we dive in, have a lot of experience. Um, other things we, you know, from a technical perspective in tech SEO, so how is your site coded? How is Google able to understand it? Uh, we're I'm going to be a little bit egotistical here and say we are one of the top players just because we've had a ridiculous amount of experience for a very young industry. Um, and then, yeah, the, the application of data is really where one of it's, it's a new thing that is really starting to come out and it's not necessarily new that this marketing data is being gathered, but it's really just what other kinds of questions can you answer outside of marketing and how do you apply that reasoning and, and really start to think about how does this data impact other business use cases? That's where we're having a lot of fun Um, and being able to just analyze huge data sets in a very quick amount of time. Because um, typically for, for things like, hey, how should I do my product roadmap? Or if you're a content curator, what kind of content should you create? You know, if you go to a forester or a gardener, you're going to do a six months at the shortest to 18 month marketing research project, and it's going to be $150,000. With our projects, we can do them in as little as three to four weeks, and it's maybe 10% of cost.
0: We are a data podcast, kind of maybe sort of, I, at least I have it in my name. So tell us about the, I mean, I do everything. It doesn't matter, but the application of data, what do you, how do you use data smarter? I mean, like you said, the data is only increasing. It's not going to decrease anytime soon. In fact, it's accelerating. The reason I call this podcast, making data simple is because at the end of the day, whether it's marketing, whether it's AI, whether it's security, I can go down the list, but point is it's always about data. So how do you use data smarter in marketing?
1: Unfortunately, a lot of people come to us and they're trying to figure out why things aren't tracking correctly, or we start looking at their data set, like their first party data from their website, or just various marketing campaigns, and it's broken. Um, So (laughs) a lot of time, I do spend uh, a considerable amount of time just validating, is the data you're gathering actually valid? Does it have integrity?
0: But they always Um, probably come on and say yes, don't they? I mean, in some sense, they know they got a problem, but do they want to admit they have a problem? Really? Because you're going to tell them, hey, it's broken. We need to fix
1: it. So I'd say probably about 70% of like brand new clients, uh, if they're coming to us with data questions, it's because they know something's broken. Okay. Um, The other times... Yeah, I've definitely had some difficult calls where I'm like, "Hey, so the last two years of data that you've been gathering is not right." Um, yeah, so definitely had a few of those. Um, then after that, we start putting together. You know, if we're dealing with, you know, still trying to figure out what data is important to track, because what you were talking about—the data that's available—is huge. There's a lot to it. So we'll work with our clients to really figure out, all right, who are the stakeholders? What are the questions you're typically being asked and need to have answers to so that we can get your data ecosystem kind of running smoothly and you're getting what you need in a timely manner? Then you flip to the other side, which is going to be more of this research. Um, And that's where we typically, I say there's a question or there's some kind of business proposition or value that they want to understand they want to quantify it's the same kind of reasons why a company would go to a forester to start a market research project so when that happens based on the question based on the industry is where we really start to identify what data sets are available to us to start to crawl so again i'm looking at tiktok youtube reddit linkedin twitter x whatever i'm still going to call it twitter i whatever yeah. um
0: He's trying to screw oh, up that company, isn't he? Keep oh, going.
1: <laughs> so bad. Yeah, I saw a meme this morning of like the, it's just LinkedIn watching what's happening. Like, okay, like I'm into this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so from there we identify. And like even times where we've talked about, you know, doing things in the culinary space, crawling open table, figuring out what restaurants get booked the fastest, things like that. Um, all of that data is really there. So we'll start to really figure out and then, And then like I said, you gather the data, we'll do machine learning, try to sort through the nonsense to get to the gold as much as possible. Um, So then you start really digging into data science. Um, I will say we are not as advanced as if you were to go to an actual like data science team. So I'm not going Mm -hmm. to insult my friends who are data scientists and they're like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. Um, (laughs) But um, we are able to really start to quantify, qualify those things so that you can make better decisions. And like I say, it's it's really about taking that marketing data, the things that have been available to marketing teams for over a decade. It's just never gotten across the aisle to product or to sales or, you know, to really engineering. Like those things just haven't sunk through the rest of the organization yet. And that's what we're trying to accomplish.
0: Why not get some data scientists on payroll and do it I'm yourself? Trying. You're trying today? Okay, yeah, I'm working good. on it. <laughs> What do you have to do for website design? Is there any best practices that you you said that's one of your, at least I thought I heard you say that's one of your strengths of knowing how to optimize a web site so that it serves as a, you know, it can be crawled easily with, you know, getting the right parameters out.
1: So I definitely want to, you know, design and the UX, so kind of the aesthetics, um, we do some of that, but and UX testing. It's really about how can Google understand and other crawlers. Uh, We do base a lot of that, though, is based on if Google can, then other search engines will follow suit and figure out how to do it as well. Um, But there are ramifications to a website that is really interactive. right? Users can do a lot of things. Uh, It's usually built with a lot of JavaScript, which also means it's much harder for Google to understand. Uh, So that's really where we So hold on.
0: The website's better itself, but to crawl the website is more difficult. Correct. Is that what you're saying?
1: Huh? yes. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, cause basically if it's not just straight HTML and CSS, which, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: think about any of your websites from 1997, I miss frames. Not really, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, HTML is really easy for search engines to understand. Like the text is in there, the links are in there, what happens with JavaScript is things can change on the page. So at what state should a search engine be understanding what the page is doing and where is the content coming from? So it actually, you know, what your browser does as a user is it actually executes the JavaScript and lets it actually show, right? Well, Google now has to add to their, and and they did it quite a few years ago, but they now have to add to their process. It's not just crawling. They also now have to have a rendering queue where all of that script is actually executed and they see what changes did JavaScript make to the page and to the content. So yes, it, it takes a lot more resources on Google's part. Um, and there's a lot of nuance to what do you serve in the initial HTML response? So you know, the first time Google asks for the URL, what gets immediately served versus what gets rendered later on the page and understood? Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of nuance to that whole process and and the order of operations.
0: Can I ask another simple question? I know there's a concept of market research, just fundamental, and then digital analytics. Which mm-hmm. one's better and why?
1: Uh, so I different? think digital analytics is just an umbrella of market research. Um, to me, market research is where you start really applying the reason and figuring out how you're going to utilize that to make better decisions. Digital analytics is just going to be one of the data sets that's available to you.
0: How do you navigate the ethical considerations that you referenced earlier around AI? And by the way, I, I, you're crawling websites, et cetera. I mean, I, and, and I got to believe there's personal information, uh, regulations. You know, you mentioned copywriting before. I mean. Where's your head at as a marketer in all this?
1: No, uh all really good questions. so uh first, like I say with uh with the data sets themselves and where I'm running the machine learning, those are data sets that um my team like we know what sources have gone into it so that we can be a little bit more aware of really what's what's educating it, where is it getting it from right Because large language models are basically like the parrot in your kitchen or your toddler that say things that they've heard and maybe don't understand what it means. Um, Yeah, I've I've had some (laughs) fun stories there. For us as well, uh, I do make sure that we crawl public data sources. So I am not pulling copyrighted data. um, If, you know, we're not able to access private posts on LinkedIn, we're not able to access private videos on TikTok. Now, I think what most people don't realize is that almost every TikTok video has a public Publicly accessible URL. Um, yeah, <laughs> so that's kind of terrifying. But yes, uh, yeah, we're we're going after and making sure we're doing that. Um, yeah, we we refuse to crawl Facebook and Instagram uh, because I don't agree with their privacy policies. That's just my own personal choice, and what um, thankfully Tori gives me the bandwidth uh, to get like together. We've decided that that's what we're gonna do. Um, Makes uh, sense. Th- you those got are the... just a few of the ways.
0: What is the biggest surprise, perhaps, that listeners would, would think about that you've learned around marketing that they probably don't even consider?
1: Honestly, it's something as simple as the amount of information that I can build around the public just based on what keywords they type into Google, and that, that data is available to us. Right. Uh, kind of like you were talking about earlier, sometimes it's really depressing, Um <laughs> what people are searching for. Uh, also, I have no faith in humanity for spelling, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, even with autocorrect. Um, but I think just how much you can learn about people. Like one of my favorite stories about this is when you look at because um, here's here's the premise: we don't lie to Google. We search whatever we want, and even if you're doing it in incognito. Sure, it's not being attributed back to your user, as far as Google's telling us, but it still gets logged as a search. So I think about when I was a new mom, the number of embarrassing things I would type into Google, but I would never bring up with my friends. Like, it's just those types of things. Google is a place where we can get that honest user You get the facts,
0: is what you're saying. You get the facts. Yes. People don't do what they say they're doing, but...
1: no. Yeah. <laughs> they really don't So anyways yeah so that's one of my favorite anecdotes not depending on the audience I can't always tell it um, but...
0: <laughs> Well we'll see what we can do about this podcast like, podcast that's interesting look but you know what what does scare me kind of to your point is uh, I went to a seminar one time and yeah some like by example I'm gonna butcher this but by example somebody had said hey I'm gonna go to get some new tires or something by that one little like tweet you could make all these connections and you could say, yeah, she's going to go get, uh, tires, but then she's going to get her hair done di- uh, directly after. Then she's going to meet X number of people, of uh, friends and she won't be back home for like four hours. I mean, you could put it all together because of so many other people were tweeting that connected to her tweet and then on Facebook and all this other stuff. And you know, a uh, flashback to me in the audience and my mouth was like, "Oh my god. Quit using social media." <laughs> <laughs> you know? I was like, "Oh, I am I am scared to death now."
1: I I feel it. I have TikTok on a separate device that I only boot it up when I'm going to like we have to get on TikTok for work stuff. Um I use a VPN and then like I turn it off cuz I'm like I I don't want to give all my information to TikTok. It is scary. How much information? But, you,
0: but you're but platform. aren't you like the exception? Because I see, particularly the younger you are, nobody cares. They're just sharing all this stuff. And I think, you know, particularly if they get incentives for sharing data, like you could be on a telecom, like a provider, and they say, Hey, your bill's 150. But if you allow us to take your data, we'll only charge you a hundred. I see People signing up for that. Yeah, no problem. I don't care. It saves me 50 bucks a month. No problem. But meanwhile, I'm like, wow, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, for me, and, and with TikTok, it's really just because TikTok is owned by the Chinese government, um, yeah. which I have no problem with. Like, I, I just, uh, whether the world is ruled by private corporations or governments is a debate for another day. Because uh, we look <laughs> at the power that Google has. Um, but yeah, it's more about just knowing where my data is going is where I get a little like, well, maybe not. But I mean, yeah, Google knows everything about me. It's alarming. Um, and honestly, by the time I figured it out, I was like, well, they already know.
0: Well, I think that's so. what most people are just like. Well, it's it's already over. It's already out there. But I did have a buddy that uh, was on TikTok. I, I kept telling him, you know hey, look, that stuff is going everywhere. In fact, you don't even know where it's going. And he finally quit it. Now he's, but now he's on Instagram. So I don't know what's better. <laughs> he's doing the same stuff. It's like going through Instagram. Anyway, doesn't matter. Hey, thank no, you for definitely. being here. Anything we didn't hit on that you would have liked to have chatted about?
1: Uh, I would just say with AI tools, uh, I think, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier. I talked about a lot of the limitations. I, I am very excited by them. I think there's a lot of room for growth, and I'm excited to see where we take where the technology takes us next. And it's almost like a dot-com bust version two, just accelerated even more. So it's exciting, but I would urge businesses, marketers, uh, use them with care and make sure you know it's not time to replace entire teams yet because they still need a lot of work and they need a lot of training.
0: Hundred percent. Where can folks reach you, and where can they uh, reach your company, the Gray Dot Company? Sure.
1: So if you want to talk to Gray uh you can go to TheGray.Company. We're also pretty active on Twitter at Gray.Co. And if you want to connect with me or X, um, I'm pretty active on uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, and now Threads. And you can find me at Sam Torres ATL.
0: I always finish with what do you do for fun, but I guess the question i got to ask you is what do you do for fun besides gaming? Cooking. Cooking. So you cook. Yes. I, so now I foresee this big gaming party with a bunch of food. Yes.
1: Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, and my husband makes craft cocktails. So we actually do a lot of like themed parties. So we'll do like macarons and martinis. Wow. Um, So we had martinis, like a martini match with a macaron and then we play board games.
0: You make gaming fun. So, but you're not like, you're not the normal gamer, at least I mean, this is not just console. You're board games and all kinds and pinball. How do you get into pinball?
1: How do you not get into pinball? Have you tried it? It's amazing.
0: (laughs) But do you have your Um, own pinball? You must.
1: No, no, I don't. Uh, I want to. And actually, uh, I'm talking about uh, my kid has an interest in robotics. uh, So we're talking about taking on the hobby of building our own tables.
0: You should. Because I look at, I'd like to have a pinball machine. And you see the prices on those things? Oh, no, I saw the
1: the new Godfather machine is $15,000. Yes. I could buy a car.
0: I know for a pinball machine that I know as soon as I get it, I'm going to say the ball stuck or there's a, there's one little lights not working. (laughs) That's awesome. The the gamer. So everybody, uh, the gamer of all time, Sam Torres, thank you for being here. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, you're a lot of fun to talk to
1: you as well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: You bet. Podcast listeners, hit me on Al Martin, data at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. I'll see you on the podcast. Later.